It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Sunday, September 18th, 2022. I'm Ryan Schmelz. The power of former President Donald Trump within the Republican Party has been on display in many midterm primaries, including blue states traditionally dominated by moderates. With what seems like several winnable races in November, will it cost the party and cause a red wave to crash? The Republican electorate is very much being molded in Trump's image. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Next week, House Republicans will make their pitch to Americans ahead of November midterms as polling indicates a shift in the Democrats' favor. Commitment to America should be applauded first and uh, foremost. Kevin McCarthy has done an excellent job putting this plan together. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. The Northeast is full of blue states, but despite then-candidate Joe Biden just about sweeping the majority of the region in the 2020 election, Republicans have actually had a significant amount of electoral success. To give you an example, the state of New Hampshire, despite voting Democrat for the presidential election the last five times, actually has a Republican trifecta in state government. But the recent primary win of a 2020 election denier, who campaigns as a Trump conservative, may hurt the GOP's chances of flipping the Senate seat this November. It's a similar case in Massachusetts, Maryland, and Connecticut. One of the unique aspects of the New, of the New Hampshire primaries. Josh Crawshire is a senior political correspondent at Axios and a Fox News Radio political analyst. Was that Trump actually did not endorse in any of these races, yet the more populist, anti-establishment candidates on the Republican side won, and, and and that shows that the Republican electorate is very much being molded in Trump's image, even if Trump isn't actually endorsing the, these candidates. And in the Senate race, you have a retired general, Don Balduck, who did not spend a single dollar, a single penny on television ads, yet he defeated a, a more established candidate who benefited from over $4 million in, in money from Mitch McConnell's super PAC. So the, the 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 worry for Republicans is that some of these candidates can win primaries, but they're going to have trouble in a general election, even though these races could be winnable in a swing state like New Hampshire. And going off of that, you know, when we're talking about the Northeast, obviously New Hampshire is a little closer to a red state than maybe some of the other ones are. But, you know, we're talking about states that have had a, a ton of electoral success for Republicans. Uh, New Hampshire has a trifecta in the government right now. Um, Massachusetts has had the governor's mansion since 1991 for just about every year except for the eight for eight years. Um, then you have Larry Hogan in Maryland, who is a very popular governor in that state when it comes to his approval rating. You have Phil Scott in Vermont, who's been a Republican governor for a little bit now. And then even New Jersey, uh, the Republicans there came very close to ending Phil Murphy's term uh, as governor. You know, do you feel like the Republican Party in a lot of these states in many ways are kind of moving away from something that's been working for them, which is having these more moderate uh, bipartisan governors? Uh, that, that's right. The, the, in 2021, the Republican candidates focused on the economy. They focused on education. 
most notably in Glenn Youngkin's campaign in Virginia. Uh, and they didn't step on issues that are much more divisive within the party, like abortion, uh, where you have even Republicans debating internally on what the regulations and what the bans, should, when they should take place and what the specific regulations should be. Um, so in 2021, Republicans did very well, won the Virginia governorship, came very close in New Jersey by running on a message centered on the economy, education, quality of life issues that suburban voters, moderate voters, parents, all, all swung towards the Republicans. Right now, Republicans don't really have much of a agenda besides opposing what the Biden administration is doing. And when you combine that with some of these candidates they've nominated being a little further to the right than, than the average voter, that's caused some problems. Doesn't mean Republicans aren't going to have a good midterm election, but it means that some of the gains that looked very possible earlier in the year are now looking like smaller Republican gains for the midterms. Hey, what do you think caused this to happen? Uh, you know, how, do, how does Dan Cox in Maryland beat the more moderate candidate uh, who was being endorsed by uh, Governor Hogan? How does this happen as it did in New Hampshire? What do you think caused this to happen where you see uh, these firebrand conservatives, uh, Trump-aligned conservatives, beating more moderate candidates in moderate states within the Republican primary? Much of it is Trump is the leader uh, as a former president of the Republican Party, so he's endorsed. In, in many of these races and his candidates have done generally fairly well he even when he's not endorsed like in new hampshire he's changed the mood of the party to a much more populist anti-establishment vehicle where candidates that are that may not have been electable or, or he couldn't have even won a primary of five ten years ago are now front running front runners in these primaries like a don balduck um you also have you know, frankly, the the issues at, at play, and when the Supreme Court in the in in, in the uh, Dobbs ruling overturned Roe v. Wade, it put abortion front and center in a way that Republicans really weren't used to. Uh, that that was not because of the protections, constitutional protections for abortion rights. Abortion wasn't quite the the the, the campaign issue that it is today. And Republicans generally had a consensus that there there needed to be some regulations, and were easily able to fight the pro life cause without having take on political water so yeah like this is it's a big change um for the republican party and there's a, a civil war going on within the party between the more mainstream forces the more establishment forces led by someone like mitch mcconnell and the more populist anti-establishment right-wing forces led by someone like donald trump and those battles are still going on to this day and they're not going to be resolved anytime soon and I, that's my next question. Do you, how do you see this trend staying around within the GOP, and especially in these states specifically, or do you, do you, could you see these states moving back to the center or picking maybe more electable candidates in the future if, in fact, they don't have success on Election Day? Well, that, that, that's a big question. Like, you look at some of the polling in states where Republicans nominated very Trump-aligned candidates – Arizona with that Blake Masters, J.D. Vance in Ohio. And you see those candidates badly underperforming where they should be at, at this point in time. You know, Arizona should be a pretty solid Republican win in this type of political environment. And Blake Masters is trailing in, in, by, by a decent margin in a lot of these polls. Uh, J.D. Vance, Ohio's a red state now. He's neck and neck with, with a Democrat, Tim Ryan. So, you know, look, if, if, if Republicans don't take back the Senate and it's because some of these more extreme candidates aren't able to win in November, you would think that there would be a political recognition 
about the, the cost that, it, that that Republicans are paying by having some of these more 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 right wing candidates on the ballot. But look, I, I, on either it, it, these days, the bases uh, the bases of both parties are running the show, and it's been harder for especially on the Republican side for the base to learn the political lessons of of of, of, of the last you know few election cycles. Twenty eighteen was another year when 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 Trump was president uh, for the midterms. Uh, on the Republican side. So, look, I, I, you would think that if Republicans don't win back the Senate, underachieve uh, in, in the midterms, that, that Trump and, and some of the more Trumpian candidates would take the blame. But given that the president's go-to argument in the 2020 election was the election results weren't legitimate, I'm not so sure these days. And, and, and now are they are all these spots in blue states unwinnable for the GP or are there some races that they can win? You know, one I think that comes to mind was this most recent election day it wasn't just New Hampshire, but you also have Rhode Island where it may have been a little bit of a different result where you have Alan Fung, who's a local mayor there, um, performed well in the district when he was running for governor. Uh, he has some name recognition and you also have uh, the the option the Republicans chose for, for governor uh, was probably the best option they had on the ballot. Um, and even in Connecticut, you have Bob Stefanowski, who actually came very close to becoming governor uh, four years ago, despite the fact that Connecticut is a very blue state. Uh, are these races that are possible? Are there any races that you think the Republican Party did get the r- the right candidate, uh, in, especially in these bluer states? Yeah, one of the interesting dynamics of, of this midterm election is that you do see in some of the bluer states Republicans nominating more centrist or more mainstream candidates. Oregon, New Mexico. Nevada, uh, the governor's races in all three of those very blue states or swing states, uh, Republicans are, are, are have a good chance of winning. Uh, these are toss-up races where Republicans have momentum. Uh, in the House, you have a lot of candidates. You mentioned one of them in Rhode Island. But some of these double-digit Biden districts are very competitive because someone like Alan Fung, uh, who's run for office before in Rhode Island, is a moderate. He's someone who appeals not just to Republicans, but to independents and even to moderate Democrats. So the candidates matter. Candidates matter in, in these races. And what, what works in a primary doesn't necessarily work in a general election. So it's very fascinating, especially at that governor's race landscape. You have Republicans badly struggling in a state like Pennsylvania, Arizona, underachieving. But you have Republicans doing very well in a state like Oregon or in a state like New Mexico or in a state like Nevada, which were all states that Joe Biden won some of them comfortably in the 2020 election. So candidates matter, and there's a price to be paid for being seen too far out of the political mainstream. Right, and I think Oregon's an interesting race that you bring up because in Oregon's case, it feels like maybe the Democrats are getting in their own way because they have two candidates uh, essentially running in the general election, correct? Yeah, and then that, that's a race where the Democratic Party has gone too far to the left, too far to the extreme. Uh, their governor is one of the least popular Democratic governors in the country, Kate Brown. And there's a, there's basically a schism within the Democratic Party in Oregon. Uh, you have a Democratic nominee who's pretty well to the left of of, of the party, and then you have an independent candidate who uh, is much more who probably would be seen as more of a moderate Democrat in in, a, in another state. Uh, and the issues of crime and homelessness uh, really big problems for the Democratic Party, and it's putting Oregon in much in, in a in a very winnable race for the Republicans. And, and do you think COVID politics plays in a 
in in there because you do see a lot of these uh, Republicans in states like that going after Democrats for lockdown policies or maybe keeping the schools closed for too long. It seems like that seems to be an issue that the GOP thinks it might be able to win on. Yeah, the the COVID regulations were an underappreciated reason why Republicans did so well in 2021, Re- really rebelling against the, these excessive school closures, COVID restrictions, business mandates. Um, that that was a, now, now those have faded away now that COVID is mostly behind us uh, at least for now. Um, but I think there is a lot of scar tissue that, that that that's been left, especially with the learning loss that students have faced as a result of the the virtual schooling and school closures over the last couple of years. And I think those are very potent issues, especially in these governor's races for Republicans to use, um, especially in these, in these competitive purple and blue states. Um, you know, at the same time, uh, the economy is, is the dominant issue uh, in every race from the governor's races to the Senate races to the House races. And uh, re- Republicans, you know, are hoping to drive home that message as well, that the economy is not in good shape and a lot of voters should be making a change uh, in, in Washington and in these governor's mansions. Now, now back to the COVID though, because you, you, you could you also argue that hurt uh, Republican governors in blue state blue states because you know some think that maybe Dan Cox, the reason why he uh, ascended in that Maryland gubernatorial race is because there within the Republican Party and within Republican voters there was backlash over his strict lockdown policy that was more aligned with how many Democrats were governing during COVID versus uh, how Republicans were. Yeah, I mean, look, the certainly, like, I mean, I think Larry Hogan, compared to a lot of other blue state Democratic governors, probably had a more moderate posture on, on COVID. But look, you're, you're right that, that that was, I think that was under, pre, I, I wrote a lot of analysis in the run-up of the Virginia governors that a lot of pundits were misreading the, the political moment, that, that there was a widespread anger over excessive COVID regulations, over the damage that school closures were causing kids. And the polling didn't always pick it up, but it was as clear as day when you look at the results from the 2021 governor's races and off-year elections. So that's still there. That's why Republicans are still energized to go to the polls. And it's why if Republicans talk about these issues, they're they're well positioned to win over a lot of independent voters uh, because of the, the issues that were related to COVID. Uh, whether it was the business, again, the business mandates, the vaccine mandates, the um, education, the school closures, and even, even you know, on, on a more uh, so on a cultural issue, the, the ideological, uh, uh, the, 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 what, what Republicans call critical race theory, the ideological trends that are going on in the public schools, and then the belief that kids are being taught propaganda more than actually being learning, rather than learning their reading, writing, and arithmetic. All right. And last last question I got for you here, you know, what does this mean for for uh, governors who are still in office, who who are Republican and, and might not uh, completely go all in on, on the Trump Trump ideology? Well, one of the more successful uh, Republican governors is uh, Brian Kemp in, in Georgia, and he has sort of shown what you can do when you actually hold uh, uh, the office of governor and do conservative things, get conservative legislation signed without kowtowing to, to, to the MAGA movement. I mean, he, he was one of the success stories for the more mainstream elements of the party where, when he easily dispatched David Perdue, former senator, who ran with Trump's endorsement, and, and he won with about 70% of the vote in that primary. But Governor Kemp was able to do that because he was able to show that he wasn't, that this race wasn't just about Trump, but it was about 
getting conservative policy enacted in a state like Georgia. That is an advantage that Republican governors have that other Republican candidates aren't quite as able to do. Josh Krushauer, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Two years ago, before the 2020 election, Republican House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy stood on the Capitol steps with House GOP members behind him and rolled out the commitment to America. Name me one problem the Democrat majority in the House has solved. Democrats support defunding our police. And when asked about the violent protest, the Speaker expressed her support by saying, people will do what they do. Democrats want to dismantle our institutions. At the time of his speech, Republicans were trying to hold the Senate and had to flip at least 17 House seats to regain the majority. Republicans ended up after the 2020 election, as we know, out of power in the White House and in both chambers. Now they're bringing back the commitment to America with a reboot. This time, they only need to flip five seats in the House, and the balance of power in the Senate is evenly split, though with Democrats in the White House, Vice President Harris breaks ties in her party's favor, obviously. And this time around, some in the GOP say while they're in a better position, this time, there's work to do. Majorities aren't given, they're earned. And I'd say House Republicans, uh, we've got a little bit more to go before we earn this majority. And part of that is showing up, showing up early, showing up often, going to communities that no one else would go to, going to places around the country like Northern Triangle that no one else will go to, come up with real solutions to real problems, and we run on that. Texas Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez told the Fox News Rundown podcast everyone in the GOP from candidates to incumbents will rally around the updated version of the commitment to America when it's rolled out late next week. And while inflation is the dominant issue, will Republicans address abortion? As polling data shows, it is creeping up in the polls as a big concern for some since Roe was overturned by the Supreme Court this summer. Well, the commitment to America should be applauded first and uh, foremost. Pennsylvania Republican Congressman Guy Reschenthaler. Kevin McCarthy has done an excellent job putting this plan together, but it's a way for us to simultaneously draw attention to the failure of one-party rule for the last two years under Democrat control and also provide a blueprint and a vision for the future with what we will do in Congress when we retake the House. Did he... Did he put this together by himself, uh, Congressman McCarthy, or did he turn to colleagues like you and get some input from others? This was, There was a lot of input from a lot of individuals. And about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, Leader McCarthy stood up task force. Uh, so, I'm, for example, I'm on the China task force. Uh, th- there's numerous other task forces. But those task forces were really the, the driving force behind a lot of the ideas that are in the commitment to America. And that's good because we will be ready to lead on day one. We'll have legislation ready to pass heading into uh, January. We're not going to waste time figuring out what we want to do. We're making sure that the proverbial bus is put together. People are in the right seats on that bus and we're ready to move forward as soon as Kevin gets the gavel. I I was reading ahead of 
our talk that the focus is on a number of things, uh, this commitment, I should say, uh, like delivering on the economy, specifically inflation, crime, a future that has better health outcomes, freedom regarding speech, confronting big tech, a government that's accountable, a focus on safe and fair elections. I don't know if I'm leaving anything out. How are you guys planning to talk about these issues? And are we going to see are we going to see it like in the, how are we going to see it? Are we going to see it in the form of like ads pushed by, you know, pushed out by the National Republican Congressional Committee? Like how will we, how will this be visual to us? So there's, so there's going to be a lot of, a lot of ways. First off, the four major points are this. It's an economy that's strong, a nation that is safe, a future that is built on freedom and a government that's accountable. So those are the four major points of the commitment to America. And then under each one of those points, you have, uh, numerous objectives and uh, positions under that. But we're going to do a rollout to the Republican conference next week ahead of the rollout in Charleroi, Pennsylvania, right outside Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And then we'll publicly roll it out Friday of next week. I'm honored that we're doing it in my district. Uh, I think that says a lot that we're doing it in what I would describe as the real America, not Washington, D.C., which doesn't represent, uh, doesn't represent most of the United States. Um, we're going to what I would describe as the, the heartland of the United States. Uh, and then you're going to see it through our Republican campaigns. You're going to see it through Republicans talking uh, on interviews, doing town halls and, and other outreach. Mm. And as far as what individual members choose to focus on, it's it's partially what what's in their background. So I'd imagine that somebody like Sheriff Troy Nels, uh, Sheriff Rutherford, they're probably going to be talking about the fact that we want to have 200,000 more police officers on the street. Um, I would imagine Tony Gonzalez, who represents uh, a border district, I think he has more of the U.S.-Mexican border than anybody else. He'll probably be talking about the national security issue at our southern border. Uh, somebody that might be on the judiciary committee, uh, like Ken Buck, for example, he may be talking about holding big tech accountable and making sure uh, big tech provides us a platform to engage in uh, freedom of speech. So it's going to, every member will tailor the message to their own personal interests, their own backgrounds, and also the issues that are, that are forefront in their district. How should the GOP talk to Americans about inflation in terms of solutions? Because we hear a lot of folks talk about, you know, this is really a Fed game, right? Inflation is kind of on them to manage. They're raising rates and it's all a balancing act, right? So we don't go into a recession. And if Republicans are like, okay, well, when we just get in, we're just going to rein in the spending. Is that enough? It, like, is, is that the pitch on inflation? No, there's so much that's going into inflation, but at the root of inflation it is a, the Democrats' two-prong attack um, one, one is on industry, and two, the other is on our, um, our energy supply. Uh, because a lot of what's driving inflation is the increased cost of fuel, which makes it much more harder to uh, engage in agriculture activity, much harder to move goods to market, et cetera. So that's a large part of it. The other part of it is just having an inhospitable uh, business climate in the United States. So we need to make sure that we streamline regulation, 
to the to the extent that we can, we should be reducing the uh, taxation burden on on American families and American businesses. And then we should go back to where we were under the Trump administration. We should be a net energy exporter. We should never be dependent on Russia or Venezuela or uh, another hostile country for our energy supply. And then finally, we shouldn't be injecting trillions of dollars into the economy. Uh, so yes, we can rein in spending, but that's only one of uh, the avenues to reduce inflation that we're gonna that, that we're gonna pursue. I know you see it, the recent Democratic wins, Alaska's special House election, uh, New York's 19th. Uh, Democrats did better, better than expected in those two special elections this summer in Nebraska and Minnesota. What mm-hmm. do you think is going on? I think that especially the Alaska election and the election in New York, uh, they're, they're unique for a lot of different factors. But I can tell you that I think the red wave is real. I think we're going to take the Senate. I think that we're going to add a lot of seats in the House of Representatives. I would say uh, 25 to 35, somewhere in that range. And then we're going to finally be able to put a check on this far left radical administration uh, that is governing not in the best interest of everyday Americans. So, but I don't, I don't believe the mainstream media when they say. Uh, that the red wave is not coming. These are the same pundits and so-called experts that told us that inflation was transitory. They're the same, the, the same ones that have, uh, they were, they were telling us that uh, the 2016 election was influenced by Russia. It was not. I can go through a litany of when they've been when they've been wrong on various issues. Well, but even the Fox News polling that just came out this um this week said, you know, that, that it flipped, right? Republicans used to be a few points ahead of Democrats in the generic uh, ballot, but but now it's reversed. Democrats are, are a bit ahead. And I wonder on that front, because it really the tide seems to have shifted after the Supreme Court overturned Roe, um, did, the, did the GOP underestimate the reaction to that or, or maybe not get on the radar with something akin to this commitment to America sooner? So I think the timing with the commitment to America is fine because most people are starting to pay attention to these elections post Labor Day. And that's typically been the case with elections and campaigning. You obviously campaign throughout the summer, but you really turn it on and solidify your platform after Labor Day. As far as the polling, um, it's not about generic polling numbers. You need to focus. And I'm not saying you personally, but uh, anybody who's following politics needs to focus. Individual districts, particularly battleground districts. Um, and in those battleground districts, no one's talking about what the mainstream media is talking about. No one in those districts are talking about what Beltway pundits are talking about. They're talking about the fact that they don't want men playing in women's sports. They don't understand why the grocery bill is so high, why their energy costs are going up, why gas went from $2.20 under Trump to now in excess of $4, uh, why there's a push to defund the police and make the streets uh, more dangerous, not not uh, uh, and, and much less secure. And then the crisis of the southern border. Um, also, fentanyl is a big deal when I when I'm out talking to folks. So these are the issues that are that are in the commitment to America. Those are the issues that will win the the battleground districts. Those are the polls that actually matter. The national mood. Uh, these aren't national elections. This isn't a parliamentarian system. Uh, this is a single member geographical district issue. And in those districts, it's the commitment to America that's going to pick up these seats.
But we are seeing some data that there are there are some voters motivated by the abortion issue. The Kaiser Family Foundation, for example, says 77 percent of Democratic women are motivated by abortion. That's compared to 50 percent of them motivated in February. Um, the Democratic mm-hmm. data firm Target Smarts Insights says women are out registering men in critical states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Kansas. Um, even our latest Fox News polling found support um, for at least some abortion rights is at its highest level in three years in, in this in this survey's history. Um, what is the GOP message on abortion, if there is any, especially like independent suburban women, maybe some of those voters right. who aren't necessarily in the base, but maybe this is factoring in for them? Well, so I would say the issue with abortion, I think, is being overblown. And the mainstream media wants to focus on this because they think that's how the Democratic mm. Party will avoid uh, a beating come this fall. But if anybody, I can guarantee you that the person that is voting on abortion as their number one issue, they've either made up their mind. This is a very black and white issue with the, with the voters. If you're staunchly pro-choice, you're going to be voting Democrat. If you're staunchly pro-life, you're going to be voting Republican. So there's not a lot of gain to be made in, in the so-called middle because it's an issue that really bifurcates um, bifurcates the voters into, into two very uh, uh, diverse camps. Now, as far as suburban women, uh, look, when you talk about the fact that the Democrats want to have boys participating in girls' sports, um, when you talk about the fact that the community is not safe, that um, scores and tests are lagging behind where they were because of the how the Democrats mismanaged COVID, that, I would argue, resonates much more than just another singular issue. And that's how we're going to bring those voters under the Republican tent. I, I want to ask you about Pennsylvania because obviously that's your state. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have some pretty critical races happening there, and I know it's cliche, but I feel like it is fair to say all eyes really kind of are on your state as well as a handful of others. But with this Senate race between John Fetterman and Dr. Oz and the governor's race, polling hasn't been as great for Republicans, even if Oz is maybe climbing back a little bit. What's your takeaway as you look at some of these these races? Well, I would say Dr. Oz will win this race, and it's critical for the Senate to hold the, the Pat Toomey seat in Pennsylvania in order, uh, order for us to retake the Senate. But uh, ultimately, Dr. Oz will, will win uh, when the voters realize that his opponent wants to release one third of prisoners, that he wants to do away with uh, private health insurance, for example, when he says that fracking is a stain on Pennsylvania. That is not going to bode well for him. It will bode well for Dr. Oz. And I think Dr. Oz is really the future of the Republican Party. He can he can articulate a message better than anybody else. He's going to bring a lot of people into our party who may not have been following politics before, much like President Trump did. So he's really going to help the Republican brand in our messaging and help grow our party. So I, I, I am convinced that Dr. Oz will win this race and he will be a leading voice in the Republican Party. As far as the congressional seats in Pennsylvania, we, we have the chance to have three to five pickups. Uh, we, uh, we will likely take back the seat that's being vacated by Connor Lamb with Jeremy Schaefer. We will very likely uh, beat Cartwright. Uh, he's, in a, he's in an R plus five district and we mm-hmm. have an incredible candidate, Jim Bognett, running against Cartwright. Cartwright's way too liberal for that district. And then uh, Lisa Scheller will beat Susan Wilde in the Collar Counties of Philadelphia. So there's three pickups right there. And that's a testament to one, 
the fact that there are no more moderate Democrats, it's a myth. They're all radical. Um, they all follow AOC, Omar, Tlaib, and Nancy Pelosi. And two, we have a crop of incredibly talented, diverse uh, candidates that are going to be able to pick up these seats. And then lastly, the Democrats are on defensive in Pennsylvania. The fact that they're, they're on the defense in the downtown Pittsburgh seat, which is a seat being vacated by Mike Doyle, says it speaks volumes. Never would anybody have guessed that Republicans would be competitive in downtown Pittsburgh. And it looks like on the informed ballot, we're within the margin of error in that race. Uh, so it just shows you the defensive position of the Democrats. Okay, put your national hat back on out of Pennsylvania. Yes. Your take on some of the more, and this is my last question, your take on some of the more yeah. conservative candidates beating out the more moderate ones, like Don Bolduc is now going to take on mm-hmm. New Hampshire Senator Hassan and not Chuck Morse. Democrats are, of course, happy. I mean, they even spent money on ads trying to make that happen. But you, you look at like a yeah. Peter Meyer in Michigan getting pushed out, and now John Gibbs is the Republican running. And a lot of analysts, you know, like Cook, Political, Sabato, Crystal Ball, they say seats like that might end up favoring Democrats more. What does the GOP mm-hmm. do with districts who, you know, maybe would have gone Republican if it had been someone more moderate? Much to your earlier point that they're, you know, yeah. it's a very bifurcated issue now, right? Like people are taking sides. Right. Uh, so, so two things. To the extent that the Democrats are putting money behind candidates they perceive as more right-leaning and more MAGA-leaning, they have forfeited the right to say that that wing of the Republican Party is somehow a danger to democracy because they're funding these campaigns. And we saw Josh Shapiro do it in the gubernatorial Republican primary in Pennsylvania. They cannot donate to these candidates and turn around and say that they're a threat to democracy. It's it's an absolute farce. I also believe that these candidates will ultimately prevail. The environment is incredibly good for Republicans. Uh, the American people have seen what one party rule looks like, and they don't like it. Uh, and so I think these Republican candidates, uh, a, a lot of them will prevail. And I can tell you that the Republican Party, we're the party of ideas. We're a big tent party. So I welcome anybody on the political spectrum from a, a John Katko, who's a relative moderate, Brian Fitzpatrick in my home state of Pennsylvania, to um, somebody like Scott Perry, who's the chairman of the Freedom Caucus. All are welcome underneath this tent. Um, and that, and the commitment to America is, is broad enough for all these candidates to go and campaign on the issues. And then, and then lastly, just nationally, I think looking across the various states, I see a path to taking the Senate, obviously Pennsylvania. We, we win that with Dr. Oz. I believe J.D. Vance will, will win in Ohio. I, be, I believe out West, you're going to see when, wins from Masters and uh, Laxalt. And I think that Herschel Walker will win Georgia. And I think Ron Johnson will hold on to his seat. So I think there's going to be a lot of surprised so-called experts come the day after the election. Congressman Guy Reschenthaler, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. That will do it today for this week's Fox News Rundown from Washington. Next week, the president addresses the U.N. General Assembly and will watch as Congress creeps closer to an end-of-month deadline to fund the government. From all of us here at Fox News Radio, thank you for listening. I'm Jessica Rosenthal from Washington. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.